me in your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to go back and we're going to look a little more closely at uh, this passage and uh, kind of give some, uh, some more thought to God and the Lamb upon the throne. Um, one of the questions that comes to mind as we consider the passage in front of us is, uh, is this something that John uh, experienced by actually traveling to the highest heaven? Did he go somewhere uh, as in an out-of-body or even an in-the-body experience? Uh, or is this uh, an example of him seeing a vision in, in which um, he was in a trance-like state and the Holy Spirit was kind of uh, unfolding things for him uh, that by way of metaphor um, spoke to him about the glory and the majesty of God? Or is this a case where John's eyes were opened to see the reality that surrounded him. Um, And that's different from a vision. Uh, A vision is not necessarily um, a, a, a representation of reality as much as it is a visual metaphor um, to, to help us kind of grasp an image. But to have your eyes opened to see what you can't see, uh, to pull the curtain aside and to see what's really going on, that's a different thing because that is a, uh, a insight into reality that is normally not seen or experienced. And so uh, there's a lot of discussion about that and a lot of division around that. And um, I want to read a couple of passages for you that I mentioned last week, uh, just briefly. But one of them is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul talks about um, his experience. And he says uh, in, in that passage, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then Paul, speaking in uh, third person, somewhat mystically, says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Now, if you look at the chronology of that passage and you go backward in time about 14 years, uh, Paul had uh, recently come to faith in Christ. And he had preached the gospel in Jerusalem And then things had begun to go badly for him, and and he moved up to Antioch, apparently um, practicing his trade as a tent maker. 
And somewhere in that period of time, he went out for an extended period of prayer and fasting. Uh, and it was in that time frame that he received this vision, this revelation. And I think what was happening there was that God was uh, calling Paul into his presence to communicate to him the special calling and mission that God had for the Apostle Paul. And so uh, he tells us, as he had this experience, he says, I don't know. I don't know if I was in the body or not in the body. And I went to the third heaven, and I don't know if I went there in my body or if, if it was out of my body. I don't know what this was all about. It was a mystery to me. But he knew what he did know, that he had seen uh, God in the third heaven, and that he had had this experience that, that uh, reinforced for him his mission and his message. And then also I mentioned briefly last week, but I want to read the passage for you from Ephesians chapter 2. As Paul writes uh, in verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. We need to understand that the new birth is literally that. It's not a euphoric experience. It's not simply an eye-opening awakening. The new birth is literally coming to life. We are dead in trespasses and sins. Dead to God, dead to life, dead to light. We're blinded. We're in the darkness. We can't see. And so uh, to come to life in Christ is literally to become alive to God. To be born afresh of the Spirit. And to come to uh, the living reality of eternal life. And he says, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenlies in Christ. So that as we come to life in God, we are raised up and seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenlies. This morning, as we sit here, we are seated in the heavenlies. Um, last week I explained to you that this was not a physical place as much as it was a, a positional place. And, and let me give you some illustrations that may help to clarify that. Um, if you go to an American embassy in a, in a foreign country, the moment you pass through the gate and pass the uh, the military guard that is at the gate, you are on American soil. And the ambassador represents the United States of America and the full authority of the President of the United States. 
He is not physically located in the White House. Neither is that territory physically located in this country. But his designated authority translates his domain into U.S. soil and translates his presence into the full authority of the United States of America and the President because of his status. And he speaks with that full authority. Another way of looking at it may be if you consider a police officer, a law enforcement officer anywhere within our country, um, that person carries the full authority of the executive branch of the United States within the domain described by his commission or her commission so that they walk among us. Um, They dress in plain clothes when they're not on duty. But they are still a duly commissioned law enforcement officer. They have full authority. Most of them carry a weapon off-duty, concealed on their person. They have the ability to arrest someone and execute police power, even in plain clothes, because of who they are. Not because of where they are, but because of who they are. They have authority delegated to them by virtue of their commission. We need to recognize that we, as children of the living God, born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ, have been invested with authority. We have been called into the presence of God. We live in the heavenly realm. We have divine commission to act in the name of Jesus wherever we are. We carry that reality with us. We belong to Him. And everywhere we plant our feet becomes holy ground. Not because we make it holy, but because we are His temple and He lives in us a living life of God Himself. And because He is present within us, everything we do and every place we go is sacred. That really should give us pause the next time we are tempted in sin because whatever we do, we carry the Holy Spirit with us. I thought when I was a young person, an older child, you know, in those years, I kind of thought, boy, I hope the rapture doesn't occur when I'm doing something I shouldn't do. Because I don't want to get left behind, you know. And uh, I, I came to realize in due time that it didn't work quite that way. In fact, it wasn't that the Holy Spirit stepped away from me when I was disobeying God, but it was that I was taking Him into my sinful behavior with me. And it grieved him 
to be carried there because he lives within me, you see. And everything I do ought to be sacred. There is no such thing as mundane for the child of God. Whether you're preparing dinner, working at a job, um, driving your car, visiting with your children or your parents or uh, whatever you're doing, attending worship, it is all sacred because you have the presence of the living God dwelling in you like we'll see in a moment, like one of those flaming torches of the Spirit of God before the throne. He is dwelling in you. Now, I've belabored this first point a great deal because I want us to understand that when John heard a voice, a loud voice, the same one that spoke to him like that voice of thunder and trumpet saying, come up here and I will show you what must take place, that he saw before him a door standing open, Revelation 4.1. And as I have thought about this, I really believe that what John was having happen was his eyes were being opened to spiritual reality. That he was suddenly experiencing the veil moved aside. And he was looking at the throne of God in God's manifest presence. And, and, and I want to distinguish between his manifest presence and his omnipresence. God is always with us everywhere. There is nowhere we can go, David says in Psalm 139, without Him. Whether we go to the highest part of the mountains or the depths of the sea, no matter where we go, God is always there. But there are times when we are not aware of His presence. We don't feel Him, if I may put it that way. Sometimes, as Paul says, we walk by faith and not by sight. We move on in faith, believing that what God has said is true, even though there is nothing in our experience that is validating that at the moment. That's why believers should not live on the basis of their experience, but by faith on the basis of the Word of God. What God has said is true, and he, he cannot lie. No matter how we feel, our feelings will deceive us. Uh, they, they are tricky. <laughs> they change and fluctuate. Um, body chemistry can mess them up. Hormones can mess them up. Uh, bad news can mess them up. <laughs> our feelings come and go. Uh, Exciting things can make us happy when maybe it's not such a good thing. Um, we have all of these kinds of experiences, but the Word of God is consistent, unshakable, immovable. 
And so we, we have this experience of walking with Him and communing with Him. And He brings us into this heavenly realm where we have this abiding in His presence. John says, I saw this door standing open. The reality, the, the veil was peeled back and I saw the reality of who God is and who I am. And all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed. It's interesting how many times John uses the word in chapter 4 and 5, like, like, like. He can't quite nail it down. It's beyond his ability to put it into words. It's He cannot fathom it. What he is seeing defies description. Paul tells us, I couldn't even speak of the things I saw. John tried in the Revelation to open our eyes that we could see what he saw, but it was beyond him even to describe. And this is where we dwell in reality. We need to let that really sink into us. And then in verse 3, John begins to describe what he saw. And he said, The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. Was that me? Good grief. I never carry my phone for that very reason. I always leave it in the office, but I wanted to read you that text, and that's what I get. Um, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass. Looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third the face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night. They never stopped saying, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. By the way, before I go back to this a bit, I think this is where um, we get the idea that when we get to heaven, we're just going to sing holy, holy, holy 24-7, you know? I don't think so. (laughs) I really don't think so. Um, And as much as I love the hymn, I I think I would get tired of it. Now, I realize I don't have uh, the, the experience of eternity stretching out before me in the translated and resurrected state, but nonetheless, 
Um, a lot of times we take things from the scriptures and we leap to conclusions that are not warranted. This is what these four living creatures are doing. It doesn't say anything about anybody else, but this is what these four living creatures are doing. But I want us to look at the throne for a moment. There are many similarities between what John sees and what Ezekiel describes when he talks about the wheels within a wheel, and you've read that passage in in the Old Testament. And and Isaiah also, in Isaiah chapter 6, he had his eyes open as he was in the temple, and and suddenly he saw God upon the throne. There are uh, insights into this in other places. But here, John gives us a very kind of complete picture. And one of the things that we see is that the one on the throne and the throne itself um, is like uh, Jasper and um, Carnelian. Both of these are red jewel stones. And so they have this reddish appearance. And yet around the throne is a rainbow that is like emerald in its color. And then in front of and beneath the throne is this, is this sea which uh, is crystal clear and uh, reminds uh, John of a sea of glass. And, uh, and beneath the throne, according to the New International Version, Uh, is this thunderstorm, peals of thunder and flashes of lightning. Um, uh, Literally, the Greek is blinding streams of light. And so you have all of this going on. Um, Rowan and I were watching the other evening a video about our national parks, and we were looking at Yosemite, and um, they uh, showed some, uh, some video of, lightning strikes on El Capitan and some of the uh, Rocky Mountains out there. I don't know if you've ever been in a thunderstorm. I don't mean under a thunderstorm. I mean in a thunderstorm. Um, I was in a thunderstorm one time hiking the Appalachian Trail uh, quite high uh, in that part of North Carolina. And a thunderstorm came up and (laughs) you can't outrun them. And so uh, we were, um, we took off our packs and everything metal and put them aside and covered them with uh, a ground sheet. And then we went uh, a distance away and kind of cowered back in the rock because the lightning was horizontal. And you hear this kind of, and then this crash. And and it's around you. It's not, it's not over you. It's around you. And they showed some of that kind of thing on um, uh, in Yosemite, where a lightning storm actually caused the death of several climbers because they were exposed on the rock when the storm hit. This is kind of what John was seeing underneath the throne. And you may not be aware of the fact that a single bolt of lightning has enough energy and power in it to supply all of New York City for like a day. 
I mean, it, it's an incredible amount of voltage and power. And if you can imagine under the throne of God, this, this uh, gigantic thunderstorm is going on and these peals of thunder, like many voices that sound like thunder, and these flashes of blinding light, and, and the throne is reddish in color, and then there's this emerald rainbow, and then there's this uh, glassy, clear, crystal-like sea, and as I look at that, I'm reminded of the reality that God is light. And that He dwells in unapproachable light. And that as His manifest presence, His Shekinah presence came down upon Sinai in the, in the giving of the law, the mountain quaked and the thunder pealed and all of the evidence of God's mighty power was being displayed. I don't know how many of you have studied the nature and characteristics of light, but I find it interesting that from the throne of God comes this reddish hue that merges into this green uh, emerald rainbow and beneath it this purplish dark um, thunderstorm that's going on. And if you look at visible light, the light of the sun, and you look at what visible light is comprised of, it's all of the wavelengths of light mixed together. But some of you have, have heard the, the, the acronym, the saying, Roy G. Biv. Do you remember that? Does that ring a bell anywhere? A red, orange, yellow, Roy G. Green. Biv, blue, indigo, violet. Those are the wavelengths of the visible spectrum, beginning with the longest and moving toward the shortest. And as you get toward the blue-violet end of the spectrum and go into ultraviolet, you come into the strongest and most powerful light. And, and that's what struck me as I thought about this throne scene that the colors are separated, but if you were to stand back and see them all together, there would be this amazing bright white light that is emanating from the throne and all of the power and the majesty and the glory of living light that John is seeing. And then he says, around the throne there were these four creatures. One had the face of a lion and one like a, an ox or a strong beast, and one like a human, and one like a flying eagle. We don't know exactly what they mean, but some have suggested that they represent metaphorically all of life upon the earth. The, the um, king of the jungle and the strength and power of, of the beast of burden and, and the crowning glory of humanity overseeing it all, and the flying eagle, the, the great bird of prey that dominates the air, that all of these creatures are representing all of creation that is bringing glory and majesty to God. And we talked last week about the 24 elders, probably representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the church, the very foundation of the church. I believe there are many apostles, far more than twelve. But if you look at the nature of the word apostle, 
It is one who is sent with a mission to establish, to build, to plant. And the the twelve original apostles, disciples, had a very unique role. They built and planted the church. Some have suggested that the Apostle Paul was God's choice to replace Judas, and Matthias was another one of those knee-jerk reactions of Peter, but I don't think so. Paul admits that he was like one born out of time, and the requirement was someone that had been with Jesus from the very beginning, and there were many followers of Jesus besides the twelve. And so Matthias was chosen. And he took the place of Judas, and there are the twelve apostles that established and founded the church as we know it today. Well, probably not as we know it today. It was a far more powerful uh, church in in those days uh, and far more pure. But it was the, the, the glory of the beginning of the foundation of the church, and here it are the representatives of the redeemed from all the ages the chosen ones of God, the tribes of Israel, and the apostles of the church. And then there are, uh, before the throne, we find in chapter 5 there's the Lamb, but there are also the the seven torches that are uh, representative of the sevenfold Spirit of God. And notice I keep using the word representative and metaphorical and like because None of these are exact, precise identifiers. that They all opened before our vision. A sense of the awesome majesty as close as we can come to understanding it. But John is at a loss for words as well. And then he says these four creatures with six wings and all-seeing eyes fall down before the throne, and they are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I remind you that holy means separated, unlike any other. Totally uh, distinct from all other kinds of beings. Our God is a holy God. He, He is not only righteous, but He is distinctively unique. There is none like Him. But we have been invited into relationship with Him. Therefore, the Scripture says, you be holy even as God is holy. It's not simply speaking of moral purity. It's speaking of uniqueness. That we are to be distinctively different in this world as those who walk with God and represent Him. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, the twenty-four elders fall down and worship Him who lives forever, and they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they were created and have their being." We don't have the opportunity to see what John saw. We have not been invited to come up here to have the veil 
departed and for us to see ourselves what John has seen. But he has been so gracious and kind to uncover this vision for us. And we are to be reminded, even as I concluded the message last week, we are to be reminded that our God is on the throne. That He is all-powerful. That He is full of glory. That He dwells in unapproachable light. That He is the brightness of the glory of the universe. That He is the author of life. And that we are invited into His presence through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and our new birth and identity with Him. And I want us to recognize this morning, I, I, I thought about, I remembered the words of one of my professors. I never took a preaching class. And he taught homiletics, but I never took the course from him. But he would often say in other classes, as he explained the teaching uh, the Scriptures, he would always say, tell them how. Tell them how. And give them something they can take to work with them Monday. And I asked myself that question as I considered this passage. What's the takeaway? How does this help us? What are the practical implications of this passage? What can you take with you and take away to your Monday, to your Sunday afternoon, to your week before you? You and I are princes and princesses of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Our Father reigns upon the throne of the universe in majesty and glory. He has all power. We are His, and He is ours forever. That may not answer your specific question that you have this morning, It may not solve the immediate problem that you're facing in your life, but it should remind you that you have a relationship with the living God who holds all things in His hand and keeps them together by the word of His power. There is nothing He can't do. There is nothing beyond Him. There's nowhere you can go to get away from Him, even if you wanted to, and I hope you don't. He is always with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And if you could just have your eyes opened to see the reality of God upon the throne and know that we dwell in the heavenlies with Him. Not because we're some other place, but because we have a commission from the Holy One. We carry the badge of authority in the name of Jesus. We are His ambassadors upon this earth. And we have the full empowerment and authority of heaven behind us 
and the glory of the throne. Providing for us all that we need now and forevermore. If we could get hold of that, there's nothing that life could bring your way that would bowl you down or trample you over because our God is a mighty God and we are His. Father, I pray this morning in Jesus' name that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our spirit, to grasp the reality of who you are and upon your throne to see you dwelling in majesty and glory and power. And Lord, may that comfort us and encourage us and bless us today with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen.